welcome back to a brand new series of Mud Between Your Toes. In this series, I'm going to let my guests do the talking. And let me tell you, I have a fabulous lineup of people, many with strong links to Zimbabwe and others less so, but all with a great story to tell. So sit back and enjoy the new Conversations with Pete Wood. Hello again. On my sitting room wall, I've got a large four foot by three foot framed black and white photo of an ancient bull elephant. He's gnarled with roomy eyes and wrinkled beyond description. The old bugger is covered in mud and one tusk is broken, obviously from a fight with another male many moons ago. I'd guess this elephant's about 60 years old. The photo was taken in 2012 in Huangi National Park in Zimbabwe by professional photographer Palani Mohan. So Palani, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hello, Peter. How are you? Palani, you're in Dubai at the moment, um, but you've just been in quarantine in Australia, haven't you? Well, I'm actually in quarantine in Dubai at the moment. It's a rather confusing story. Uh, we, were in, uh, we were in Australia stranded for 10 weeks and we got back to Dubai and we're in quarantine for 14 days, which is a very strange experience being stuck in a house. It's 42 <laughs> degrees outside. <laughs> so, so are there any fights yet brewing with the kids and you and uh, your lovely wife, Sarah? Well, Peter, I'm very, very good at um, hiding myself in my study and being told, uh, you know, just do, do, doing what I'm told. So I'm, you know, so far so good. But it's day four, so we day still have four. 10 days to go. Day four, okay, long way to go. So listen, now, your work has been widely published by many of the world's leading publications. You've published six coffee table books with another one on the way. And, and I didn't know this, you also have a photo in the National Portrait Gallery in London. Well, so we'll talk about your books and the National Portrait Gallery in a second. But first, can you tell us about the old elephant photo on my wall? Yes. Um, well, that picture was taken um, in Zimbabwe, in a national park in Zimbabwe. As you said, it's Wangi National Park. And uh, my wife and I went there for holidays um, after, um, you know, just the two of us. And the night before, we were sitting around a campfire and the, the amazing guide uh, was telling us about all the animals we we're going to see in the morning. And I told him that I've done a lot of work photographing ele Asian elephants before, so we got on quite well. And he particularly told me about this one old, magnificent um, male elephant who he's seen around for decades. Uh, it's grumpy and it's old and it's blind and and with a bit of luck we might actually see it. Um, and, and we spoke at length about about this elephant and um, and the next morning we got up very early and off we went to the watering hole and after about 10 minutes of being there um, this this amazing elephant turned up and not only did it turn up, it actually charged us. Um, and uh, I was literally about maybe two foot away from it. And I, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, times around an elephant. And the best thing to do when an elephant's charging you is to be still and not panic, which is easy said and done. And so that photograph you're referring to was the elephant looking very, well, very angry, 
um, couldn't see very much, but uh, it knew that we were there and wasn't happy about it. And um, yeah, so that, 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 was, uh, that was the image. But by all accounts, you're in pretty good hands with uh, your guide. His name is Tony someone. I, I can't remember his surname. Um, and, and that was following my 50th birthday, which I had at Victoria Falls. But remind me when we first met. I vaguely remember it was during another global crisis. I think it was SARS, but I might be wrong. Well, I think I met you at a dinner party in Hong Kong a long time ago. Um, and, and then I soon worked with you briefly um, uh, where at um, AFP and I, I sat next to you and uh, I, that, that's, that's when I really sort of got to know you. Um, you had, you had a, a booming voice and uh, you, you know, I was intimidated by you actually. I didn't want to come and say hello. It took me a whole week before I, I had the strength to come over and said, introduce myself. Um, so yeah, and it's been a wonderful friendship ever since. And then, I mean, you were also doing a pretty tedious job at AFP at the time. You were, I mean, it was insanely tedious, wasn't it? You were digitizing the entire AFP photo collection, weren't you? Yes, and also I was given, um, I was told that I could delete images uh, from, from AFP, which I, you know, which was incredible. So for example, there is 50, images of John McEnroe serving at the Australian Open and most of them weren't that good and my job was to really get it down to five or six of and um, check captions make sure that John McEnroe is not Billy Nastasi or someone someone like that so so that's you, what I did and and of course you know deleting photos I mean it's very subjective you know whether you like one someone else might love one or a story might come up where you know you need a picture of him picking his nose or something yeah well it's uh you know from everything that i've learned over many years it's it's probably not a good idea to delete anything uh, if you remember that famous photograph of monica Lewinsky and bill clinton um uh, meeting when uh, and that was the photographer was going to delete that um and um because it wasn't much of a photograph but uh, the, he didn't and someone went in years later and found that photograph so best not to delete anything space and hard drives are cheap so um yeah <laughs> so how how did you get into photography well i come from i was born in india originally peter um and i come from a long uh, line of distinguished um uh, movie uh, from the movie industry my grandfather was a quite a well-known movie director and so was my other both sets of grandfathers and my grandma was an actor and my uncles were cinematographers and so forth so i was always been interested in in the cinema and movies and shootings and dubbings and editing suites and so forth when i was a kid so um so i've always had a camera and i've always always taken photographs ever since i was a, I was a young child and when we moved to australia when i was very young i just kept taking photographs and I felt that I was reasonably good at it and I, I just liked doing it. And a lot of the times I used to take photographs without any um, film in the camera. Actually, mo most of the time I didn't have any film in the camera because the, the, the act of looking through the viewfinder was, was something that, you know, I didn't, really, I didn't really want to make an image. I just wanted to look through the camera, if that makes any sense. Sort and, of. Uh, Yes, I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of the times we, you know, I, I didn't have film in the camera. We just didn't have film. No one gave me film. So I would walk around taking interesting photographs without any film in the camera. Or even if I, you know, ran out of film in the camera, I still liked looking through the viewfinder. It gave me great pleasure. So when, um, when, when did your professional career start? 
Well, I applied for a um, a cadetship uh, when you know, if you remember those yeah. days when newspapers actually um, hired people and and and, um, and looked after them. Well, I applied for a cadetship with the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper in Sydney, and I entered, entered a bunch of photographs. And much to my surprise, um, you know, I got I, I got the job. Um, there were thousands and thousands of people all across Australia who entered this competition, and and whatever reason, two of them got selected and I was just incredibly lucky. And so a job landed on my lap when I was 17 years old before I even left school. And the Sydney Morning Herald in those days was arguably one of the best broadsheet newspapers up there with the New York Times and the Guardian um, in the world. So, um, you know, I was very, very fortunate. Those cadetships have been done away with in Australia. Is that a good thing, do you think? Or, or, or do you think those cadetships were absolutely essential? Oh, well, I mean, I think the cadetships are absolutely essential for a number of reasons. Because, you know, when you're a 17 years old, 18 years old kid straight out of school, there's so much you don't know. Yes, you might be able to take, you know, you might have a good eye and you might have taken a few photographs, but there it stops. Um, what a cadetship does, it teaches you how to look people in the eyes and shake their hands. It teaches you ethics, which, you know, we're lacking now mm. uh, about, about when to, you know, when, when you see someone grieving, how do you go about taking a photograph? And what do you say before? How do you conduct yourself? Um, how to turn up on time? You know, all, all those things. And that's what, uh, and, 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 and looking at other people's work, which is probably the most important thing you could do as a photographer when you're 17 years old or go to art galleries and get inspired. Absolutely. Um, so those are the teachers. That, that, that's, what, that's what cadetship teaches you. So do you consider yourself a photojournalist or a fine art photographer? Well, you know, that's a really uh, interesting and uh, complicated and difficult question. I, I've spoken about this a lot. Um, I, I think I, I consider myself as a photographer, um, simply as a photographer. I, um, I, I don't want to put a label on what type of photography I do because I've done almost all of it. I was a sports photographer for many, many years. Um, I, I, I helped a man take page three photographs when I was 18 years old in the, in the Sun newspaper when I used to work. Um, and so I've done, you know, all kinds of different photography. And I think end of the day, if you want to be really honest with yourself, I think you're a photographer. Um, you, uh, you know, you, you, you take photos for a living and that's the, you know, that's what I do. Sure. And as a journalist, you shot some pretty incredible stuff. Um, I remember one amazing story, you and Jason Gagliardi in Thailand, um, and you had to photograph a sex change operation. Can you tell us that story? Yes. Um, well, in those days, uh, the sex change operations um, were a huge thing, and Thailand was leading the world in sex change operations. Um, Thai Airlines, for example, was running packages. You know, you fly to Thailand, have, have your lie on a beach for a couple of weeks and have your, you know, bits, whatever, put back into a chopped off and have your sex change and then you fly back home. Um, so Thailand was a world capital for it and we wanted to do a story, Jason and I, and, but getting permission, of course, um, was, was incredibly difficult. I think it was easy enough getting permission to photograph a, a Thai man um, becoming a woman, but it was a lot harder. We, and we wanted a Western uh, person 
uh, for it. So we had to wait a while. And then we had this phone call saying from a, from a hospital in Phuket, uh, Dr. Sangawang, his name was. And he, he said, you know, we've got someone uh, who's willing to be photographed. Uh, can you come today? So off we went and we got there that night. And the next morning we went in and we, we went to the hospital and we knocked on the door. And the six foot four former U.S. Marine, um, handsome with boobs, uh, wearing a dress, Samantha, his name was, her name was, um, answered the door. And you know, Jason is, you know, uh, and myself, you know, we were, we were both taken back and she was really incredibly friendly. And, and we spent five or six days with her. We went to the beach together. We had dinner together. We had a few drinks together. She wasn't drinking, but we were. And then we followed her in um, to have uh, the final operation, as she called it. Um, she, she had her boobs done. She had uh, Adam's apple. Now I've got to get this. I think they uh, it, they shave the Adam's apple, or they do something oh to God. it, and they do something to your knuckles. And everything was done except she had. I thought you were going to say they do something with your nuts, but yeah, your knuckles. <laughs> and all, well, I'll, I'll get to that, Peter, in a minute. <laughs> um, so, so, but you ended up you end up with your your penis, which she hated, and she wanted it off. Um, and, uh, right in front of me, um, they, you know, I was right there for it. And my cowardly, wonderful journalist friend, Jason hid, um, outside because he couldn't witness it. And, um, I, you know, I was there right there. We witnessed this incredible, incredible procedure where within 45 minutes, um, you literally, all your bits are turned around and put back in and, and what's left is a jam jar with your scrotum and a note saying Sam written on it, which you're allowed to take home and freeze and look at if you so wish. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what, what a story, what a story and a far cry from that journalism. You've also done a lot of commercial work, which obviously I suppose is your bread and butter, even if it's not your first love, but you did some really interesting commercial projects. I remember one where you had to travel around the world. Was it for the World Cup or was it for Standard Chartered or someone like that? Yeah, it was, well, it was one of the advertising jobs I did was for Standard Charter, the bank, um, and it was uh, photographing people, uh, ordinary people playing uh, football, playing soccer. Uh, around the world and uh, and and so yeah so we went to i believe we went to five or six countries around the world and it was a very incredibly complicated shoot but but regardless what type of photography that i'm doing i still take photographs in the same style and you know and i think that's that's what that's the kind of advertising stuff that i do i don't change my style for it yeah. For example, it's very, it's, it's about natural light. It's about the moment and it's, it's just a reportage and it's just, it's just me and a camera. A lot of the times one camera and one lens and, um, and let's see what happens. Type yeah. Of, you're not uh, doing an something. Annie Leibovitz type of thing where you've got a cast of a 500 people, you know, holding up the lights and everything like that. I mean, talking no, about, no. talking about your style, what was the picture that got into the national portrait gallery in London? I mean, what an honor. Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, it was, um, it was a photograph of the first man who brought dim sum chain of restaurants in to London. Now, I'm a bit embarrassed. I can't 
I've forgotten his name now. Um, so he was, he actually brought uh, Chinese food into London in the very early days. And it was a portrait of that. Um, and I, you know, and, 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 you know, I did it for a magazine and then I had a phone call from the, from the gallery saying, you know, we've seen this photograph. Um, I believe it was for the Guardian a food wow. magazine when Guardian used to have an excellent food magazine. Um, and and, and is, is that a permanent exhibit? Um, I don't think it's a permanent exhibit. Um, I'm sure you've been to the Portland Yes, Gallery. I have. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, and beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, and I think they have a bunch of, uh, bunch of images that are, that are permanent, but they, they bring this out uh, quite often, I believe. Uh, but I, I, I have to say, I've had people who've seen it, but I've actually never seen it. Uh, because the times that I've been to the Portrait Gallery, which I think is three times, um, they, well, they've had other things on. Um, but yes, I mean, um, it, was, uh, it was a nice, nice, nice phone call to get. Okay, now, now, very exciting. You're the author of six books, Wind, Water, Hunting with Eagles, Vivid Hong Kong, Vanishing Giants, Hong Kong Life, and Hidden Faces of India. Um, I think I have all of them, Palani. <laughs> well done, Peter. It's really great. <laughs> uh, by all accounts, Hunting with Eagles was the one that, I don't know, was, was the most challenging. Can you, can you tell us about that book and some of the obstacles you faced? Yeah. Well, um, for, so ever since I was 18 years old, I, um, I've known about uh, the, the, the Kazakh eagle hunters of Mongolia. And I saw it in a newspaper when I was a young young 18 year old working at the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper. So I've seen pictures of it here, here and there. And, and I just, I'll never forget the first time I saw it. I, it, was, it was a black and white photograph in a newspaper. And it was this incredible image, slightly grainy, um, slightly out of focus um, of a man standing on top of a mountain, um, you know, with a snow covered mountain and he was holding a golden eagle in his hands. And it was just an incredible image. And I remember reading the caption saying it was from the Altai Mountains in Mongolia. And as a young kid, I just remember thinking, where the hell are the Altai Mountains in Mongolia? Oh my God, how amazing. God, you know, how do you get there? You know, and I was just taken into this whole other world. And I've never really forgotten about, about Mongolia or, or the, that particular image. But after decades, um, I ended up in Hong Kong for the second time in 2012, I think. And, uh, and one night after I returned back from Bangalore doing one of these sort of corporate shoots and, and I was going through some emails and I, I received a junk email from Mongolian Airlines saying that, um, you know, they've just started doing daily trips between Hong Kong and Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. And, for, and then next thing I know, I just thought, you know what, I've got nothing on for the next month or so. Uh, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go and try and find these eagle hunters. And it was literally, that's how it started. I bought, I bought a bunch of clothes. Uh, it was December. I made a few phone calls. Uh, next thing you know, I've got a plane ticket. Next thing you know, I've got a visa and I'm on a plane. And cut along so short, uh, after a week of traveling, I end up in middle of nowhere on the edge of uh, the Altai mountains, uh, which borders Kazakhstan, China, Mongolia, and Russia in this tiny town. And my journey really began. And I went there without really knowing why or what I wanted to do. I just wanted to go there. You know, because I guess 
one of the great things about one of the most important things about being a photographer is, is you've got to be curious and off I went and and I found out after I got there that the real story was there are between 50 to 60 of these true Kazakh eagle hunters left in that part of the world and and they're dying of old age and, and the weather conditions and then I thought wouldn't it be great to try and meet all of them and do a portrait of them and their eagles and also the landscape outside their gur. And that was the idea. Um, and I, it took me five years, uh, you know, I, it was, and I went there in winter, it was minus 40 degrees, minus 45 degrees with wind chill. It was by far the hardest thing physically that I've ever had to do, but it was by far the most difficult thing. My camera gear had uh, working conditions, um, I could say. And the result is uh, a record of, of, of most of these men. And most of these men that I photograph are passed away now. So it's something that, um, something that I'm glad I did. It was a difficult thing to do, but I think it's probably one of the most important um, bodies of work that I've done. And, and over the five years, they began, became, started to trust you, didn't they? Yes, I went back over and over and over again, um, and, and I lived with them. Um, as I said, I went there in winter because that's where the hunting takes place, and that's that's where the, that's when they go out hunting. That's where the eagles are hunting. That's where the foxes they hunt foxes, the eagles. So the foxes um, go out hunting in that time of the year. So uh, I, you know, I, I I I ended up getting a really good relationship with them. I lived with them. They got to know me, and um, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, in temperatures like this, a lot of people wouldn't realize this, but your camera gear actually seizes up, doesn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, um, something happens uh, around about minus 28 degrees, minus 30 degrees. Uh, your batteries, I mean, that, that was the biggest problem. The batteries would just um, just stop working. So I shot the whole thing on, on a medium format digital camera. And the, my biggest headache was uh, my batteries and my, the fact that um, I was cold and my fingers were frozen and all that stuff. But the, the, I missed so many, so many images. I would say I missed 80% of the images that I took uh, because I just couldn't make press the shutter or the shutter would freeze or the, the batteries would, would, would go. So I would carry about a dozen batteries with me. I would uh, strap the batteries up with gaffer tape under my arms, um, anywhere in your body, Peter, which is warm. I'll let your imagination run. <laughs> um, and when, when the time was right, I would reach down and through six layers of um, thermals or whatever that I was wearing, and I would, I would uh, pull out the battery, and I would put it in the camera, and sometimes it gave me 30 seconds. Other times it gave me 15. Um, so... Yes, that it's was an incredible challenge. it's an incredible record that has actually it actually led to you doing a TEDx talk in the Sydney Opera House to a packed auditorium. What was that experience like? <laughs> well, there was three and a half thousand people or something at, at the Sydney Opera House, including my parents. Um, and as a young photographer working for the Sydney Morning Herald, I, I the Sydney Morning Herald. In those days, anyway, they were heavily into art. So there was at least, at least every day, there was an image from the Sydney Opera House. So I'd been to the Sydney Opera House hundreds 
hundreds and hundreds of times photographing. So I know that stage really well. I've been there so many times. So um, for me to be standing there uh, in front of three and a half thousand people uh, with 80 photographs going, going off uh, and I had to sync uh, my talk to the photographs, which I found quite difficult, uh, was really emotional. And given the fact that for, you know, for the first 10 years of my life, I had a speech impediment, I couldn't talk properly. Um, I would stutter a lot and I couldn't put, couldn't put a sentence together. So it was, uh, you know, I, my, my, my wonderful dad had tears in his eyes because that's all he kept thinking about, saying when we came here, you couldn't talk. And here you are talking in front of three and a half thousand people about, about a bit far away land. And it's, so, a, it's a fantastic, very moving talk. And, uh, you know, even if you're not interested in golden eagles or hunting with eagles, you, you can't stop listening to the story. I mean, it's quite fabulous. And I, I really think that anyone uh, who is interested, they should listen to it. Just go on to TEDx Sydney. That's T-E-D-X-Sydney.com and type in Palani Mohan and you'll get that particular... Um, They'll, they'll, they'll be led to your talk. Uh, well done on that one. Now, going right, winding back very to a totally different area, your latest book was Wind Water, and that was something that's completely different to Hunting with Eagles. Tell us about Wind Water. Yeah, it's a, it's a book on Hong Kong. Um, uh, this is my third book on Hong Kong, and, it's, it's, and all the other books on Hong Kong were really about people. Um, it's really about the city and its people. And I guess, um, you know, after turning 50, I started looking at Hong Kong, a city that I lived for 10 years, a city that I love more than any other city I've lived in, um, a city that has incredible energy um, that surrounds it. And, and, and I wanted to look at Hong Kong um, through a totally different lens, if you can call it. And I wanted to look at Hong Kong through feng shui, the elements of feng shui. So I looked at uh, rain and wind and water and, and storms and, and, and mist and mountains, oceans. Um, and I looked at a city of, of, of people through those elements. And the result was a book uh, titled Wind Water, which means feng shui. And I worked with a, a feng shui master who told me about all the places in Hong Kong that had good feng shui and bad feng shui. And I would turn up to these places and good or bad. And I would stand there and I would make it work, try to make it work photographically. Um, so if there was a storm, if there, if there was um, a curvature of a mountain, uh, if there was uh, clouds moving through a, a place that had good or bad feng shui, I would go and I would try to look at that took the city through those elements. Uh, it hardly has any people in it. Um, in it it's a very uh, abstract um, uh, view of, of Hong Kong. And interestingly, a view of Hong Kong that only age and wisdom um, you could look at. You know, when I, my first book was about a daily life, it was just about people. And when I, was, when I first came to Hong Kong, when I was in my late 20s, I could have never have done wind water because I wasn't ready for it you know mentally or you know or physically or spiritually I wasn't ready for it and I think um, I think that's you know 
you know, th that says a lot about art and photography. And I, th I just think you change as, as uh, with your life experiences, you change the way you view art and you view photographs and, um, and you have to be ready to you know, do something like wind water and, and, um, and yes, and, it's a and, five year work. Uh, five years, I was just going to say, but it, it took a long time to do. Yes, it took, it took, well, you know, like all, um, all personal projects, you know, you start in one place and you finish off in another place. It's, it's a, I mean, every book that I've done, um, it, it was different to what I thought it was going to be at the very, very beginning. And, and, and that's the way it should be because you, know, you have an idea, you, you build on it, you sleep on it, you talk to people and one day you, you know, the mist clears and you, and you see it. Um, you, you know, um, I always, you know, think about standing on a, on a big black rock on top of a mountain and you're looking down into the valley and it's, it's misty and one day it clears and you see the idea. Um, and I think all great ideas, uh, all good ideas, um, um, come from that. So, so, um, so the wind water started off of me photographing clouds. Uh, why? Because I, because I felt good photographing clouds and a lot of the, and I would photograph clouds and I, I would, I would come back into my hard drive and I put it in a folder and I never saw them. And, and it really evolved from that to the, uh, the feng shui angle at the very end. It's an absolutely beautiful collection of photos, I must say. And talk about ideas. What are you actually working on right now? Well, my, I've got a couple of books on the go. Uh, and one oh, of just, them you're, you're so prolific. Two books on the go. Okay. <laughs> well, unf but unfortunately, something called COVID-19, um, you might have heard of it. Um, it, 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 you know, it came and stopped it. So I was supposed to, uh, with, with a bit of luck, have something out by Christmas this year. And the, I, it is really a book about stillness. Um, I, um, it was about um, just images that gave you peace and images that gave you, uh, thought, uh, gave you pause, basically. The images that I've taken you know, 10 years ago and the, image, the way I look at photography now. Um, it all really stemmed from a, a, a medical illness that I had a couple of years ago, which uh, hopefully I've overcome. And it really uh, made me think about um, the, the smallest details uh, of, of life that a lot of the times so you walk past. Um, so the book is about, about, um, about just peace and stillness and space and, and um, and, um, it sounds like something silence. we really need right now. Yes, yes, yes. It's about silence, really. It's about it's about enjoying silence and and how important silence is in our in our in our lives, and and photography and art uh, play a huge part of of wellness. Um, you, if you surround yourself with 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 art, well, that 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 uh, it's full of silence and and wellness and and, and space. You know, you feel better, and, um, and yeah. There you go. So right. hopefully next year. And th so that's the one idea. And the second one? It's, uh, it's my long-term project that I've been doing about, about rickshaw wallers, very different, um, in Calcutta. You know, Calcutta in, in India is the last place in the world that um, uh, these rickshaw wallers still operate, these human horses. I'm not talking about the pedal rickshaw. I'm talking yeah. about the guys who pull the rickshaws. Um, and there is about less than 300 of these guys left. Um, and, um, and I've been photographing them for the last, gosh, 10 years. 
and um, I've got a large body of work and, and the, the same publisher that I was publishing, Publish Wind and Water is interested in doing that. So I've got everything ready, but the, we, we didn't want to work on two books at the same time, which was um, crazy. So uh, we were going to have that out in two, two, 2021, but everything's been moved back a year. So let's see what happens next year. Brilliant. But it's good that you're keeping busy as well, I must say. And I'm going to give you a bit of a plug here. Just to, uh, if anyone does, just to remind you, if anyone wants to listen to Polanyi uh, in his TEDx talk, just go to TEDxSydney.com and type in his name, Polanyi Mohan. Or you can go to his website, PolaniMohan.com. Uh, Pal so Palani, we're nearly out of time. Um, and I just want to say that I will always cherish my elephant photo. It's in pride of place in my sitting room. I think many of my friends were really, they really covet it, even if they can never afford it. Um, and, you know, I hope that you're going to keep busy in, in Dubai because a very different part of the world, um, a different pace, I suppose, to living in Hong Kong. Yes, it is. I mean, I mean, I, as I said before, Peter. I mean, we loved living in Hong Kong. It's uh, we miss it terribly. Dubai is a different type of a place. Um, it's but but I guess you know it'll be interesting to see how we all come out of it um, from 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 this weird times that we live in. And and I'm also very interested and curious to see how art and photography come out of it. Um, you know, when, when this is done, whether, whether I think, because I think art and photography has a huge part to play on, on, and how we are, are nice to each other and how we sort of treat each other. So, um, yeah, let's see in six months time where we are. Fantastic. Look, Palani Mohan, thank you so much for joining me on Conversations. Thank you, Peter. You have a nice day. You too. Take care. That was Palani Mohan speaking to me about his career in photography. And if you want to find out more about Palani's work, well, there's plenty more to see on his website, palanimohan.com. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.